Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight webinar. We got a great one for you tonight. It's a very uh, provocative topic. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to put a disclaimer out here. Stephen probably wants to surprise you and stuff, but um, he's going to talk about why patents don't really protect you, but then he's going to give you some great tips on on how to stay protected. So don't freak out. Don't leave. Oh, come on, you gotta, Andrew. You got to stick around for the really good stuff. It's um, all it, it's all good. It's stuff. all good news, guys. It's all good it's all, news. But we have it's to all real. Yeah, we have to kind of talk about some things that are very important. So we really have a, a better understanding of how to use patents. OK, so. OK, but before we get going. You know, some of you, I don't know, you stumble across this webinar or something to tell you who we are. So Stephen and I, we co-founded InventRight 20 years ago. Not kidding, guys. We've been doing this for 20 years. And what have we been doing? We've been coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products for 20 years. And every week we have students that are licensing products. We're very, very proud of that. We're all about empowering inventors with these skills to not just do it with the product they're working on with us, but to do it for the rest of their lives. And Steve and I are very, very proud of that. And we do a lot of free education for the for the inventor community too. We have our YouTube show. Um, we're doing, we've been doing these this series for inventors during the whole COVID epidemic. Um, Steve has been doing a great job of getting these speakers come on from these major corporations. And tonight we're gonna do some talking on this very intriguing topic. So Stephen, so do patents don't protect people from stealing your inventions? So they just call it a day now and just close up shop, and not try to sell it. Yeah, right? no, you know. Well, Andrew, <laughs> just I always hear, you know, I hear from people. They're saying, "Oh, I just got this patent, and you know, they're now unprotected." Or maybe they're watching Shark Tank, and mm -hmm. every Friday night, the if you if someone comes on and the sharks are saying, "Do you have a patent on that?" You don't, and it just kind of deflates everybody. And I'm here to say um, they're wrong, that um, you don't need a patent. And patents don't protect you like we, I thought, you know, and I think a lot of people have realized they're not going to stop people from stealing your, your ideas. So but does how, it stop what, our students even? I mean, does it stop our students from licensing ideas to companies? Oh, no, no, no. In fact... We see more licensing deals get signed without patents than with patents. In fact, I would say 95% of all the ideas we see get licensed, and we see quite a few. There's never a patent, and there probably never will be. Well, there's a. We guide our students to file provisional patents, but they. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Sure. Uh, I think we're going to talk about what companies really need, and we're going to we're going to give some reality to this, and I'm sure. Um, a lot of people aren't going to be happy with this talk, Andrew, and it's it's not going to be people that want to license ideas. It's going to be all the other people that are trying to sell us fear. Other people? You mean like, hmm, who no. would that be? Hmm. There's, there's a few. Uh, there's patent a few. attorneys? <laughs> well, there's a few, but we're we're not anti-patent attorney guys. We're very no. we're we're pro well, good patent attorney, but they're not all good. I'll well, Andrew, say. I'm I'm pro patents too. So oh. don't get me wrong. I just want everybody to realize when do we need them and, and what situations are they important and how do we leverage patents? And maybe we don't need patents, but that that type of information we're going to share tonight, it's all about educating us, inventors, creative people, how to make good decisions with our resources. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Nice. Okay? I love that. Okay. That's great. So let's go to the first slide, Andrew. I, I went ahead and wrote this article for Forbes, um, Why Patents Don't Stop People From Stealing Your Inventions. And I didn't realize that was going to hit such a, a large audience that would have um, a lot of comments. And quickly it got yeah, over 10,000 views. Wow. Quickly it got over 10,000 views. And compared to some of the other things I've written, that's, that's quite a few. Um, but I also noticed that no one from the patent side or the uh, no legal person responded. And that silence was really kind of interesting to me, even though I asked them to weigh in on the topic, none of them did. So what we're talking about is real tonight. And what we're talking about is just kind of 
what they don't want to talk about. But it's important to us, it's important to you to understand how to use this system so it doesn't end up using us. Okay, yeah. so um, I thought I would dig a little bit deeper tonight. I wrote that article and, and I, I watched what happened. So I'm going to go pretty deep tonight in this topic. But the first thing I want to say, now this is a very shocking slide, this next one. Andrew doesn't like the slide, by the way. Put the next slide up, Andrew. Well, I, I'll let you talk about it first. I, yeah. I don't miss Okay, here's the truth of the matter here, folks. Apple, they're one of the largest companies in the world. They probably have hundreds of patent attorneys. They file thousands of patents. But Apple is having a hard time defending its intellectual property on the iPhone, right? They're having a hard time in court defending their own technology. And they're the biggest company in the world. And they're having a hard time. Now, there's a lot of technology in that iPhone, and there's a lot of patents on that iPhone. But if Apple, the biggest company almost in the world, if they cannot defend, successfully defend their intellectual property on their product, what chances does any of us have? All right. I, I think it's a relevant to... point. You know, you and I talked about it yesterday. I, I think it's a very relevant point. You, it, you... It's kind of shocking. And, yeah. and I heard this quote from a couple different people, and and it just kind of sets it up like, wow, that, you know, yeah, what's going on with that? So I want to talk about that. So let's go to the next slide. Um, this is the San Francisco uh, federal court. You don't want to end up there, um, but I did. Uh, I, um, I took a little toy company uh, to San Francisco federal court, Lego. And I, I learned a lot through that experience, Andrew. It took three years. I um, I had licensed my technology, which was a rotating label to one of the largest label companies in the world, CCL Label, and I gave them a master license, and they sub-licensed that to companies, other companies around the world, and one was Celex in Japan, and the other one was Kindleworth in Ireland, and because we were making, they were making labels spin labels for products selling around the world. And in Japan, it was Nescafe Coffee and um, they were doing all the Rexall Sundown and other ones. And so I got a call, my office in Turlock, um, got a call that uh, Lego is was going to launch a new product called Bionicles and they wanted to use a, the rotating label to tell a story. Well, I have to tell everybody, I was really excited about that. And so they signed an NDA. I had two patents that were issued. And um, we made samples. And I sent the samples back to Kindleworth in Ireland. And, and they sent it over to corporate Lego. And next thing you know, nothing happened. So I, I take a, a, a very long trip with my family around the United States. And I finally get back home. And my son is a very... He's a young man, he loves Lego, and and sure enough, he, he opens up a, a package and it has my rotating label, and it's, it's, it's from Lego, it's Bionicles. And I'm not collecting royalties. So I did what all of us would do. It took, it it was a, it was difficult for me. I was, I was felt like someone did something that, that wasn't right. And so for three years, I actually took them to federal court. And um, and it, were you, it was, were you were in arbitration before that, and then you ended up. Well, it's a long process, you guys, and it's very expensive. It's a long process, but there's a couple things I learned. Let's go to the next slide. Let me tell you what I learned from this experience because it was jarring, because we argued over two words. After all this time, it came down to two little words, and I realized that patents are basically um, just words. That's what I learned. And, and those words um, can be interpreted by different people at different times. Um, and that patents just give you uh, the right to sue. And suing someone in federal court is, is, is something I wouldn't recommend anybody to do. And so it really hit me hard that this whole system is set up 
um, not for independent, not independent inventors. It's not set up for anybody really. And so I kind of walked away. It was a good experience. Trust me. At first it wasn't a good experience, but we settled two weeks before it went to trial. And um, it just made me realize that patents are just words. Next slide. Uh, if hundreds of thousands of patents are filed every single year and a very high percent, and I don't know if 97 is the right number, but it's very high, that 97% of all the patents that get filed never recoup the cost it takes to file them. Wow. Why, why is everybody filing patents? Next slide. You know, I want to make the point that a lot of people file patents, they never do anything with the product as well. That's very important to, to note. Well, that and maybe they don't know if they have a marketable idea. Maybe they file out of fear. Maybe they're watching Shark Tank. I don't know, but they're filing. Right. Um, so the conclusion is, you know, patents basically are worthless. Now, that's really hard for me to say because I'm a big patent holder. And I have over 20 patents in my name, and I know the value of patents. And they are valuable, but maybe not in terms of trying to stop somebody, because it's very hard, and I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute. And yeah, patents are just words, and those words can be interpreted by your patent examiner at the USPTO, one out of 10,000 sitting in a cubicle, to a judge, a jury, to a, to a license, licensee, or, or to an investor, but they're just words. Next slide. I want to talk about a couple of things of, of why those patents don't stop people. Next slide. Prior art. I love prior art. Um, there's prior patents on just about every invention in the world, and there's so many prior arts. You cannot find them all. It's impossible. But I like it because prior art kind of explains how a, an idea started and you can follow the the you know the 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 trail of innovation and how it keeps on changing so i love prior art but prior art is always going to be brought up and it's always companies like to debate prior art well you, you know you got a patent but there's prior art here and why is your patent different or will Stephen, you get a for, for the for those new to patents and things what is prior art they're just prior patents. And prior art could be very broad. It could be maybe your idea was written about in a magazine or on a website. But I'm talking really about prior art, prior patents now. Right. Got it. And and those those can be debated, you know, and, and because it's words. That's the issue. So prior art makes it really hard to really own anything. Next slide. Workarounds and variations. Well, Lego, what they did is that they worked around my invention. And that's fair game. I'm not mad about it. That's fair game. In fact, that's okay. They they found a workaround. They found a variation. And it's very hard to have a patent that has enough claims to stop all the different potential workarounds and variations. It's almost impossible. Now, in my situation, we had some patents that issued and they had a couple issues with those two words. That's why we settled two weeks before it went to court. But the reason why it's hard to protect any idea is because innovation keeps moving forward and there's always gonna be advances and workarounds and variations. It's very hard to know all of those. Next slide. Are you gonna tell us the outcome of the Legos thing later or now? Well, you have to wait. Okay. Next go. slide. Um, the other reason why I don't think patents um, stop people from stealing ideas is that the litigation cost is so high. It, it, to, to go to federal court today to defend your intellectual property, it's probably, you know, a million dollars, maybe even up to $2 million. That's pretty expensive for most people. And also, even if you win, they could appeal it. Think about that. You could spend all that money, win, and they could appeal it to go another three or four year round again. Ah, gee whiz. So that's that makes it difficult. Next slide. 
Yeah, in 2011, uh, the laws have changed. It's called the American Invents Act. And because of these new laws that were supposed to stop the so-called trolls, um, it made it very difficult for, for inventors because they gave a lot of power at the USPTO and they can overturn your patent that was issued now. A company could challenge your patent that was issued at the USPTO, PTAB, it's called an IPR. They could challenge it and they could overturn it. So that's another reason why it's hard to protect your inventions with patents. Next slide. Online sellers. It's a wonderful world we're in today. You can buy products online from everybody. There's Amazon, there's all these private sellers. It's fantastic. But because of that, it's really hard to stop the copycats. And they come up so fast and it's like whack-a-mole. You could spend all day trying to stop. If you've got a successful idea out there, I don't care how many patents you have, to chase these guys, it takes a lot of time and money. Next slide. Okay. So what I just told you doesn't sound very positive, does it, Andrew? No. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. doesn't. To me, I was very naive. I thought if I had a patent, it protected my invention and no one would steal it. I, I thought what everybody else is thinking, but the bottom line is it, it just doesn't. It only gives you the right to sue. And that's very difficult today. But here's the good news. And that's why this is really a positive talk we're having today. But it's, it's, a, it's a time to, to, to readjust your thinking a little bit. See, you see, companies today need your ideas more than ever. They need you. And I learned this by just being in this industry for so many years, but by interviewing 30 industry experts in 17 different industries and asking them point blank, hey, do you need ideas from us? And this is what they said. Next slide, please. Um, this is in the uh, hardware industry, and this is Corey Talbot. He's a great guy. He's vice president of marketing for product development. Hide Tools, which sells over 1,200 products. He says, we'd love to work with inventors because they are passionate about their ideas. Yeah, people in the trade that are working on situations every single day, they know when they see a good idea because they're dealing with problems. So Corey was saying to me, yes, we need invent we need inventors. Next slide. Health and beauty. Lawrence Cruz, chief patent counsel at Conair. Come on, that's a big company. $2 billion maker of small appliances, personal care products, and travel accessories. He says, as a company, we're thankful that people give us a chance to consider their ideas. And that's one of the major players. That's a, that's a market leader that, that needs ideas. That's in the health mm. and beauty. Next slide. I'll go through these fast. I only got a couple more. Hospitality. There again, we are constantly looking for product ideas and innovation. Next slide. Yeah, Robert Kay, CEO of Lifetime Brands, the world's largest kitchen company in the world, right? We are looking for ideas from the outside. I even asked the president, Dan Siegel, we had him on uh, one of these classes a couple of weeks ago, I said, why do you need us? You just showed us a slide. You've got all these in-house designers. He says, we still need outside ideas from you because we don't know what you're going to come up with. And, and we don't want to bypass a good idea just by closing our doors. Next slide. And this is my last one, I think. The president, president, um, of Hasbro, John, and he talks again, I'm not gonna read that to you guys. He's basically saying, and this is what I really loved about Hasbro, 60% of their product portfolio comes from the outside. That's mm. how important you are to them. Next slide. Why would they wanna burn that bridge? No, they would never. Now, I wanna talk really about the 15 ways now to protect your invention. That's right, and some of it has to do with a little bit of intellectual property, perceived ownership, 
but a lot of it's just being a good, smart business person. So that's what I want to share with you today, because I think today it's never been a, a better time to be an inventor. It's never been a better time to come up with ideas. So the first thing, and I, you, you've heard me talk about this a million times, you guys, you have to do this. You have to study the marketplace. And the reason why, you want to make sure you do a very thorough Google search to make sure you have a point of difference, you have a new idea. And I'm going to talk about why that's important. If you haven't done this, you're wasting your time. But there's another reason why this is important. Next slide. Along with searching, uh, staying in the marketplace, I want you to do a search for prior art. We talked about that and go to learn how to search for ideas at the USPTO. Better yet, learn how to do it through Google Patents. Take a class, play with it, learn how to do it. You'll be surprised how you can become pretty darn good at it. You could even hire someone to do it for you. But the reason why this is important is so you know your point of difference. Because if you know your point of difference, when anybody asks you about your product and you really truly know it, it gives value. And that value is important. It gives you, it gives you credibility. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So one, study the marketplace. Number two, search for priority. And let me tell you the reason why those are so important. Number three. Yes, filing a PPA that has workaround and variations. Basically, I want you to steal your idea from yourself. There you go, I said it. Look at all the different ways someone could work around you. But the, what you're really doing when you're studying the marketplace and you're doing the prior art, like I said, you're really knowing your point of difference. And why is that so important? Because when you file that PPA and you know your point of difference because you've done the homework, now you truly have uh, an application, a PPA that has value. And I'm, I'm not seeing all those patents that I see that people file, they haven't even done prior art searching correctly. You know what else they're missing too? They, they, and I, haven't, I don't have this up, yes I do. If you include manufacturing know-how and you add the searching that you've done from the marketplace, you've added the searching you've done for prior art, and you understand the manufacturing, and you understand workarounds and variations, you know what you've just done? You know what you just did? Now you have created intellectual property that truly has value now because you've studied the marketplace. You know it's unique. That's a great thing. You know your point of difference. You've stole it from yourself. You've mm -hmm. added all these different things. So when you do present this, to an invent to an investor or a potential licensee, who whoever you want to work with, you have ownership now. You have perceived ownership that has value, and that gives you protection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, Stephen, it's fascinating. I've I've heard some intellectual property experts. I don't know if this seems a little too extreme to me, but they, they some say that eighty percent of patents are weak to junk. And the big reason for that, whether it's a company or an inventor, is they go, well, here's my widget. And that was the first mistake when they go to a patent attorney. They go, here's my widget. What they should say to the patent attorney is, here's my widget with all the improvements, workarounds, variations, knowing all the products in the marketplace, knowing the other patents. And then you can have a really strong patent. Now, I think a lot of attorneys make the mistake, too, then, if the inventor is not saying, here's the widget with the variations, they're they're not saying, well, give me the variations. I'm not going to do a good job. Instead, they're taking whatever garbage the inventor gives them and they're just filing it, knowing that a lot of inventors will never do anything with their patent. And that's sad. And well, Andrew, with the, but you, know. you have to realize though, their job is not to gather all this information that you just did. No, it's the inventor's job. It, yes, and but they're not telling you to do that. They sh but that is their job, in my opinion, my biased opinion. Well, I think they should be. I, I wish they would. Too. I yeah. wish the USPTO would start talking about this more. I, I wish, because I do believe if you start to do this yourself, you truly are creating intellectual property that has value because by doing the study in the marketplace and doing the prior art, you're you're trying to determine if your product's even marketable. That has value too. Right. And then you're you're adding all these things together. So when you do file, 
you're directing that patent agent or patent attorney to do a good job for you. So you have to take some ownership here and help them do a good job for you. And if you don't, your application is not going to have any value. And, and, and the value is not from protection. Wait, but the value is not from protection, you guys. The value is that when you show it to an investor, if you're a startup, to raise money, it works. If you show it to a potential licensee that's looking for that point of difference, that you've done your homework, it has value to them. Right. Okay, let's go to the next slide. And a and, lot of drawings. Always do a lot of drawings. drawings. Drawings are worth a thousand words. A provisional patent application is only seventy dollars. Um, it's very affordable. And and you can do this, but don't expect anybody to do it for you. There you go. Now, right. Stopping online sellers. I, I you know what's crazy about this world is those guys are pretty fast at this. But they they take if you're if you're if your product's out there, they don't change it. You know, why change it? You're doing well. They just copy it and they copy everything. They copy your picture with you and the dog and your product. They they copy they they copy all of it. So I want you to file a trademark on your name because they copy your name too. Uh copyright all your your literature, your photographs, all that stuff, and maybe even a design patent, right? You're what you're doing is that you're giving enough tools that if you were to reach out to Amazon or any online sellers, you're giving them enough tools for you to prove your perceived ownership, and mm. then they'll take it down. So what you're saying is they, they, them copying your instructions, that's a copyright violation. They do some, some of these copycats, they, they're so egregious in what they're copying, they're literally copying your artwork, your, your, your instructions, and, oh. and those are easier trademarks, and trademarks and copyrights are easier to, to make a case to stop than any patent. Your sell sheet of your product that you have on Amazon, they're gonna copy that. Or packaging or whatever. So that's why you copyright all of it. And I'll right. tell you, it just gives you those tools now to chase them down. You could hire a company called Redpoints, they'll chase them down for you, or you could chase them down yourself. But if you have these things, it does work. Next slide. Yeah. The number one best protection today is to find a company that embraces working with inventors. There you go, I said it. The number one best protection has nothing to do with patents because that company, it, maybe it's the market leader, maybe it's a mid-sized company, but if they've got great distribution and they've got relationships with the retailers, they can bring it to market fast. And today it's self first, self fast. Michael Weinstein, thank you for saying that. I believe it 100%. They've got relationships with the retailers. They got shelf space, they got everything in place. It's the fastest way to protect yourself. It's the best way to protect yourself. Number six, please. You know, I love this. Be your own publicist. You know what's really great? You can be your own publicist today. You can be on all social media platforms. You can build a huge community online. Like, make connections with everybody online. Be on LinkedIn, be on Instagram, be your Facebook, but don't be quiet. Build a community. Go and like other inventors' work and comment on their stuff and be part of the conversation. There's some amazing people that I've been associated with that have built this huge online platform. You know what happens? You're building raging fans. Because not only are you talking about your thing, but you're helping them with theirs. And they're going to help help you when your product launches. And be the original. Yell it from the, the rooftops. When your product launches, yell about it. Tell everybody. Go on TV. Reach out to the media. Reach out to print. Reach out. Whatever you can do to be the original. That's one of your best protections, too. Be your own publicist. And you'll be surprised the power of the crowd. Number seven, no crowdfunding. You know, I love crowdfunding. I think it's really smart. But here's the danger with crowdfunding. If you're there just trying to raise money and you raise a lot of money, you will be copied. And there's no way to stop it. You'll be copied. And before you manufacture, it'll be on the market. And it will hurt your brand. 
they'll sell product and before you know it it's like what just happened because yeah you know i mean before you're even done with your camp crowdfunding campaign they're seeing it succeeding and they're knocking you off and they're beating you and selling it on amazon and people will think they're the original company not you it's it's way too much exposure way too much and the thing about it it's not just it's not just companies overseas it's companies in the us too okay so just just be aware that it's just to me it's too much exposure but if you're ready to manufacture if you've got great distribution and you're ready to go then yes that might be a great avenue to use uh, crowdfunding next slide Uh, a booth at a trade show. There's a lot of um, trade shows that have uh, inventor pavilions, or what, I don't know what you call them. They, they've got all these different names and they'll, they'll bring out people that will lecture you or they'll, they'll say that you'll meet people in the industry, you'll meet buyers or whatever. It, they're pretty good at marketing it. But the bottom line is if you've got a prototype and you're at a trade show and everybody's walking around with cameras and someone sees something they really like, that's just a lot of exposure. And I don't think someone magically is just going to walk by and go, hey, what a great idea and sweep you off your feet. We, we want that to happen. I know we do. I do too. But that's not reality. So the reality, work a trade show, but don't buy a booth and stand there waiting for, you know, Mr. Wright or whoever's going to walk by, Mr. Wonderful. It's not going to happen. It could but it's rare. Work a trade show so you can meet the right people and don't have that much exposure with your prototypes. But if you're ready to manufacture, you got great distribution, absolutely do it. Okay. Number nine, I see so many people trying to get people to look at their products on LinkedIn. In fact, you know, I see it all the time. I'll write an article and someone will hijack it by, here's my product, click here. Well, you mean, so pu publicly, you're publicly? saying is a no, no, yeah. no, but privately is fine. Private's fine. Right. But, but be careful. It's one of those exposure things again. And more than that, companies aren't looking on LinkedIn to find ideas. They have enough ideas coming through their door. So it's not the great way of doing it, in my opinion. Next slide. I want to get through these, Andrew, because I want to open it up early because usually we run out of time. Number 10. Okay. Shark Tank. I love it. It's been going on for over a decade. It's fun. Guess what? It's entertainment. I know it is. But I've seen so many articles now on people that have gone on Shark Tank, and before you know it, they're copied because everybody's watching it. Because you've got maybe a little bit of distribution, distribution, but you're waiting for a shark to magically take your product, and next thing you know, it's a major hit. You guys, I think the way I would use Shark Tank today is have good distribution. Be a smart business person, right? And then go on Shark Tank and leverage all their advertisement. That's the way I would use it. I know there's a couple people that I know personally. That's exactly why they've used Shark Tank. Use them. Use them for the show entertainment. They want they want an entertainment show. But yeah, what, what and, do you want? And Stephen, when when we coach our students to license their products, they're quite often not for all products, but a lot of products are reaching out to 20, 30 companies to think to some inventors feel like this. Oh, the only way I know of to sell my idea is to go on Shark Tank, and maybe they'll give me the money. People have this thought like all I need is the money. It's like you're going to run a freaking company. You realize that's like 60, 80 hour work weeks, you know, and oh, but if I just have the money. And so a lot of people, they don't really want to be running a business. They just want to get their idea out there. And so well, when you they, license, you know, you get the money, you get the workforce and you get the existing distribution. Shark Tank, you just get the money and you're still running a company. And it's a TV uh, show. The purpose of the TV show is it's a TV show, guys. Come yes. on. I would just say this, just be smart about it, learn about it, have fun with it, learn as much as you can, watch it. I love to watch it, but just realize. I used to, I don't anymore, it irritates me, I can't just, watch just it. Just realize it is a TV show and, and don't put all your eggs in any one basket. There you go. And Shark Tank should not be, you know, maybe it's just one egg, but don't put all your eggs in that basket, okay? Um, yeah, number 11, this is really interesting. 
if you are manufacturing, and I know we always talk about licensing, but I know a lot of people want to manufacture themselves. And if you're over in China, make sure your manufacturer signs an in, in, a triple N. And then basically it keeps that manufacturer from selling out the back door or competing with you. Right, and it's a pretty good document. They'll sign it, but it gives you a little bit of added protection. Next slide. Of course, NDAs are great too. You know, NDAs are not what you think they are. Everybody says, yeah, it's gonna protect me. I don't think so. Um, I, I think uh, uh, working with the right company is your best protection. I just said that. Um, and I definitely told you patents aren't your best protection, so you know that. And, it's, and if patents aren't, an NDA is not gonna protect you either. But you know what it does? It sets a tone of professionalism. So if anybody starts to ask you about your you know, confidential information, um, sign an NDA and most likely it's gonna be theirs and make sure you understand it. If you don't get good legal advice, just don't sign it, but um, don't think it's the end all, but it does set a tone of professionalism and that's a great way to protect yourself as well. Okay, next slide. Because you know what it adds up, Andrew? All these things that we're talking about, we'll get to the last slide. It adds up to one thing, we'll get there in a minute. Okay. Build relationships with retailers. And I cannot stress this enough. Uh, a good friend of mine, Rick, I hope you're listening tonight. He's got a great product called The Great Plate. And of course, he's got some intellectual property. Um, and he saw that his uh, product was being sold at a, a major retailer. So Rick's a real smart guy. You know, he didn't call them up and threaten them, poke them in the eye. You threaten one of these retailers and they'll never carry your product. That's not a great approach. But he also was smart enough to know that he said, hey, I'm the original. He's got a great social media platform. And basically he told the buyer, hey, look, this is my idea. I'm, you know, I've got intellectual property, blah, blah, blah. And also I'm the original. And sure enough, he said, look, you don't have to take it out. I know that's a problem for you guys, but don't reorder it. Don't restock it. And sure enough, the, the retailers were so happy with the attitude, I think they ended up carrying his. And that had nothing to do with suing anybody, right? It, it was leveraging the ownership because I do think people want to do the right thing. So Rick, if you're listening, great job. And I know you got a great product you're launching soon. So I have to have you on the YouTube channel. Number 14. Don't stop innovating. Don't ever stop. You know, I, I, there's a good friend of mine that's got a great product that's been selling for over 12 years. And of course his patent got overturned at the USPTO. And my comment to him was, okay, you had a great run. What's your next one? Where's your line extension? Where's your improvement? Why are you stopping now? Don't ever stop. Keep inventing, keep looking at in the future, stay ahead of everybody. And I was really surprised I had to have that conversation with him because you're inventors, you know that. Keep inventing, be, be smart. And I think he has. I think he's come up with some improvements and I'm really glad he has. Number 15, please. Yeah, always look at your product and really design it or work with the manufacturer, do different price points, just do that. Right, do the high end, the low end, the middle end, just be smart. So you can always come up with a different variation. You can come out with the high end if they start copying and come back out with a, a lower cost one. Be smart about it, have options. I love options. Next slide. You know what this all adds up, Andrew? Mm -hmm. It adds up that you are an asset. It all adds up of you being credible, being smart being an inventor, being an entrepreneur, doing all the things that give you value of perceived ownership. And that's, those companies love that. And that's powerful. It's much more powerful than having a patent is being knowledgeable and working the system. Next slide. Start early and be ready. I tell everybody, you have to be smart about this. So hopefully this information has been helpful tonight. And I want to thank everybody that came on tonight. So why don't we open it for questions? Hey, yeah. Andrew, I actually did early tonight. How, how you like yeah, that? that's amazing. It's amazing. This is great stuff. I wanted to go back to this one. Um, you know, I, I, it, we've been doing this for 20 years, Steve, and we've had students in over 65 countries. And we have yet to have a student tell us that I know of that, that said, 
a company that I approached, a potential licensee for licensing, knocked me off. And I firmly believe it's because we teach our inventor students to conduct themselves professionally. So the three or 4% of companies that might consider it, they're like, eh, you know, this, this guy knows what he's doing. I might do it to that wacky inventor from six months ago, but I think we should either pay this guy the fee or, or move on. Conducting yourself professionally is, is a bigger form of protection than you can imagine. They realize you're a liability. Yeah, you know? no, you, you know, I, I want to add number 16, be reasonable. Okay. Mm. And that's not conducting yourself professionally when you're unreasonable, is it? That's right. Be reasonable. Don't give them a reason to work around you because you are a professional. You've done your homework. You have intellectual property that has value. You've got a great social media platform ready, right? You're looking at the manufacturing costs. You're doing all the stuff that you're an asset. That's what you want to be. That's the best protection you can have. Okay, let's yeah, and I've right talked now. to inventors, Stephen, that, oh, I was with this company and then they they screwed me or whatever. I'm like, so, and I talked to them about what they said and they're like, well, I asked for a half a million dollars up front. And I'm like, uh, okay, why'd you do that? <laughs> you know, they, they were, it's just ignorance. And they, they didn't understand that you get the money on the back and as they sell units, you get paid when you're licensing. And they just made it up in their head. I should just ask for a half a million dollars up front. And, and that's sometimes when companies go, this guy's not professional. We've invested in this. We didn't realize he was wacky. We've been talking to the guy for six months now, and now he wants half a million up front, and screw you, and they try to work around you. And that doesn't happen to our students because our students would never do that, but some inventors do that, and I've heard those stories. I've talked to inventors that have done stuff like that, and they're like, oh, really, Andrew? I wasn't supposed to do that? Um, that's probably not most of you, but there are inventors out there that, that – just don't say the right things. Let's put it that way. Um, so, Stephen, did you want to do some Q&A? Oh, let's do it. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. God, we got so many. So, if you guys want to ask some questions, you can go to the questions box in the GoToWebinar control panel. And we're not going to be able to get to them all by any means. Um, I, I can't pronounce this name. Amit, Amit Kumar. That's not, that's not hard. Amit Kumar. Uh, PPA gives protection for one year. So time we have the license is one year, no question mark. So um, yes and no, right, Stephen? I mean, so well, you know, I can you, go ahead. One year is a long time, gentlemen, ladies, yep. everybody listening. One one year. I mean, if if you're listening to our Invent Right channel or reading the books or content, we're always talking about being prepared. Start early, right, and be ready. That means have your marketing material done, have your sell sheet done, have have everything done, have your list of companies you're ready to call, then file your PPA. And then you got a whole year. A whole you know, year. our students, you know, it might take you three or four months to get to most companies at most. Okay. And then let's say a, a negotiation or two lingered. Okay, let's say that's another four months. So we're at eight months now. You still have four months. But Andrew. people... People know they can file a provisional, Stephen. It gives them the warm and fuzzies. I'm kind of making a joke, but kind of not. If, and then they just sit on their hands because they don't know how to license it. I know, but if they're not taking action and they cannot license it in one year, maybe, just maybe, right? Maybe that's not the right product. Or maybe right. they're not really reaching but out to companies or guys, following up. You know what you can do? If you do show it to companies and they've signed an NDA, Right. And it, it's a couple of years, so they haven't disclosed it. You might have an opportunity to refile again, but talk to your patent attorney about that. Or if you make improvements, you might have a, a way to refile it again. But talk to your patent attorney, get good advice. We're not giving legal advice here at all. No. But a year is a long time. And when I hear these stories, Andrew, that it took me five years, took me seven years, it took me 10 years, I'm yeah. just kind of going, wow, you know, something's well, not working right. All you need okay. to do is ask the inventor what they're doing, and then you realize they're not going down the right path yeah. for licensing, okay. and that's why it's taking so long. Okay. You know what, guys? A lot of people, they're not really clear on the difference between licensing and venturing, starting your own business, and you're on some weird middle fence, and you're not doing the right things for either of those things. You're just kind of flailing about, and a lot of inventors will do that. Um, so that's one of the reasons why it takes longer than that, Stephen, you and I. 
know that. Um, so here's a good question for you from Angelica. So why are large corporations investing so much in patents? Oh, they I don't have the question. value that people think. I, you know, here, I love that question. Thank you for um, asking that question. I was interviewed uh, just this week um, because they started sharing the numbers of how much money is spent on the renewal fees, right? I mean, this doesn't make sense. If all those patents never recoup the cost it takes to file them, and all these companies are filing them, and not only filing them, they're, re they're making the renewal renewal payments, which get really expensive. That's where the money is at the USPTO and these other organizations. It's in the billions of dollars. So I'm asking myself, why are they doing that? I don't know, is it just a bad habit? Is it just to please the stockholders? Are they trying to maybe license the technology out as a technology transfer? I, I, I'm a little confused. But realize large companies that do have deep pockets, right, that will litigate, yes, that could be important to them, right? But what we're talking about tonight are consumer products that go in on the market within a couple of years, right? You know, if you've got a great kitchen product, you might get seven years, maybe 10, but the lifespan is usually fairly short. But if, if you're some of the bigger companies, that intellectual property is important, it allows them to raise money, right? It allows them to get partnerships, it allows them to have perceived ownership. So it, it does it, it does have some importance. But I guess what I'm saying tonight is, if you think that your patent is gonna protect someone from not stealing your idea, I, I think you're just, I think you're, you're not looking at the big picture, what's happening today that's very current. Okay, so it, I like patents. Do them right. Make sure they have value. File intellectual property that you know there's a market for it. File intellectual property that you've done your homework. File intellectual property that has workarounds and variations and has manufacturing. Now you're really in the game. You're, you're part of that 3% now because now you file something that has value. So it's not that I'm not that I'm against it. I'm actually pro patents, but I need for you to do it right and at the right time, but not out of fear. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's out of the wrong reasons, and people have the wrong perceptions of what patents are. I, the basic approach our students use, guys, is our students file a provisional patent for seventy bucks, and they go fishing off the pier. And they've got a whole year, which we believe is a tremendous amount of time with the approaches that we take to reaching out to companies. And if there's interest, you know, you can quite often negotiate to get the company to pay for the patent. Now, they'll give you the money and you give the money to your attorney. Your attorney will file a full utility patent and then reference the provisional. Now, some companies will say, no, pay royalties, but we don't. you can file a patent if you want, but we don't care. It's and then other companies are obsessed. Well, we only pay you if you get these certain claims. That's not typical, um, like everybody thinks it is. Um, but there, some industries, it's more important than others. You can't make a blanket statement, right, Stephen? That in well, every industry, it's I, you the know, same. Andrew, I, what I think is important is have the option when you do file a well-written provisional patent application, you do have the option to turn that into a non-provisional, and if you license it to a company. They have the option maybe to do that. So it's not just yes or no, right? It's just doing it the right way. It's and it's a very affordable option, but you're not spending ten thousand dollars on a patent. You know, your spouse might go when that doesn't work a couple times, go, What the heck are you doing? You know, but when you're spending seventy bucks, your spouse isn't gonna complain about that. Andrew, and there are a lot of companies, especially the larger ones, that that's going to have value to them, right? So just do it right, right. and if, sure. if that company does want it, then you've, you've, you're you perfect, right? So that's fine. So I'm not like saying don't file anything. No, but, not at all. all we, we advise, homework. just to be clear, we advise all our students to file a provisional patent every time um, because it's so affordable. Yeah. Um, and Stephen's right on the timing, like file it the week you're ready to start calling. Um, but, you know, it's not the end of the world if you spend 70 bucks and you file it today and you don't do anything with it. Um, it's not the end it's of the world. Smart. But it's just, yeah, 
Uh, David says, when you said you settled two weeks before going to court, what happened throughout the three years uh, this lasted? Was it just back and forth between you and Legos? That's a good question. People want you, – you told this great story, Stephen, and you well, didn't tell us you, how it ended. Well, first of all, the system doesn't move very fast, I'm afraid. Um, when we first sent them a letter asking them to license, you know, they didn't even respond. And that might have been months. And then and then when you send them a maybe a cease and desist letter, they don't have to do anything for a long, long time. Okay, so this thing just drags on. And then when you finally, you know, file a, you know, go to, you know, file an infringement case, then it just takes forever. You guys, it's a really long process. It's very painful too. It's very emotional. Um, I'm going to write probably a little bit more about that experience because at the end of the day, looking back, it was probably the greatest experience I could have possibly had and probably one of the worst, right? Because looking back, I, I, I question, should I have even took them to court? How much was I really losing? Because the technology they were using to, to circumvent my patents was so slow that no one would have used it. But I got emotional. So I'm here to tell you that um, sometimes companies come up with similar ideas in the back room and they come out and you think someone stole it. That happens all the time. And sometimes there's some bad players out there that might take advantage. That does happen too. But realize, find those good companies, build those relationships, follow intellectual property that does have value, be reasonable, do all the things that you become an, an asset. And that's the best protection you can. But the yeah. Lego thing, we settled two weeks before mm -hmm. we, we um, they took me to the mat. They wanted to see how far I could go. And I took them to the end. So we settled two weeks before, and I signed this really um, ugly NDA, which I cannot say too much about it, but I have a smile on my face at the moment. Um, but at the end of the day, what they did was fair, Andrew. They worked around it. Okay, and, and maybe they got caught up in a couple words that were interpreted by whoever. That's a pretty risky proposition. And I like Lego. I, you guys, I have no bad feelings about that. What they did was, was, you know, in their opinion, right. In their opinion, that's okay. And I had to do what I had to do. And at the end of the day, I learned a tremendous amount from it. But like I said, the only thing I can say technically two weeks before it went to trial, we settled. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Stephen. I know people were going to email us or something saying, Stephen never finished the story. <laughs> so well, now you, you heard it. I, I've got a few more books in me, guys, and I'm going to keep on writing uh, about the process. I'm going to write about when you have a big idea. I'm going to write about licensing agreements. I'm going to license about how to keep everybody paying you and us. Okay. How's that? I'm going to keep on writing about it. So, we find those great companies and, and we become even better at this. So as we got, we have a time. What, how much time do we have here? We have about five minutes. Um, Steve, I'm just picking through. You guys have great questions, by the way. Steve said, I believe most states have pro bono patent programs. Your income has to be a certain limit, but the attorney fees are waived. However, filing fees still have to be paid by the individual. Yeah, you know, that's that's great, Steve. I'm not against that. Um, I think you have to be earning fairly low income to qualify there. You know, our the InventRight version of that is file a provisional patent application. It's $70. You do not need to file a full utility patent in order to license your product. Our students license products all the time with a $70 provisional. And they may or may not want to file a patent, if they're willing to do a deal, which I don't know if we stated this clearly, our students are doing deals all the time and the company does not care about the patent. Now, when you put patent pending on your sell sheet, which you can legally put patent pending, you don't have to say provisional patent pending, it does create an aura of professionalism. It keeps the conversation going. It's a great tool. But my response to your, your comment about um, the pro bono patent program is it's not necessary. 
Now, if you were venturing your product and selling it yourself, I would say that that would be a tremendous advantage. But if you're so limited on money, you shouldn't be venturing your product anyway. If you don't have enough money to pay for a patent, you shouldn't be starting your own business and manufacturing a product yourself anyway. You should be licensing. So that's my take on, on that comment there. Um, guys, so many questions here. Some of these are so long. Some of you guys wrote it like a book. Uh, I can't do those. <laughs> um, Good. Well, okay, Carrie's making a point. $70 PPA plus associated attorney's fees. With multiple invention, this adds up quickly. I guess I need to prioritize. Well, Carrie, our, our students just, they use our smart IP software, which we sell on our site for 99 bucks. Our students file their own provisionals, and we teach our students to file their own provisionals. So to think that you need a patent attorney every time to file a provisional is, is your perception, but it's not true. Inventors are filing provisionals all the time themselves. And if you ever looked at a patent, guys, you're like, what the hell am I looking at? This is like some other language. A provisional patent application could be filed in common English. Anybody can write a provisional patent application. Both Stephen and myself don't believe an inventor should ever write their own patent, but their own provisional patent application, any of you can do it. I have students that don't have their GED that were able to do just fine writing their own provisional patent yeah, application. We, this, you could learn as much as you can about it, right? And there's some uh, programs out there uh, that you can pick up that will help you write it. Some are better than others. We have one called Smart IP that was uh, built by Gene Quinn, law professor and um, patent attorney, and he's got the most popular law blog on the planet called um, um, IP Watchdog. Uh, he does a great job, but we, we realized that with good education that you can do a very good job and um, learn how to do it yourself, save yourself a little bit of money, and and realize at the end of the game, at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. Uh, and it's very important to understand it is a numbers game and have a lot of ideas and test quickly and, and, and kick the tires and build good relationships, do all those things. And we're gonna keep on teaching you how to do this to increase your chances of success. And that's what InventRight is all about. And I wanna thank everybody for coming on uh, tonight um, because I, I want you to be successful and I want you to do that in such a way that you're not doing things that put you in a financial situations that would jeopardize you or your family. And, and yet, talking about the provisional, 80% of filing a good provisional patent is doing what Stephen talked about on the slide. It's not legalese. A provisional can be written in common English. You don't have to write it like a full utility patent. So studying the marketplace, look, thinking about the variations. Most inventors, if you've been thinking about it for a long time, you, it becomes, you lose your creativity, it becomes fixed in your mind. This is what it is, this is what it is. Well, you need to put your feet up on the desk and go, yeah, okay, I'm, a, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pretend like I'm some unscrupulous company or, and, and I'm going to knock myself off. How else could I do this? And so that is the vast majority of following a provisional, not being an attorney. Not, it's not hard, guys. You just have to go back to being an inventor and thinking about all those variations. I, I believe that each and every one of you that's listening tonight, you can become an expert at this. And you need to become an expert at this, and you can. And it requires a lot of education, taking your time, taking a deep breath, um, and learn as much as you can. You can do this. Um, and yeah. don't um, rush. There's no rush in here. You don't have to rush. Take your time, do a good job, educate yourself, and you, you're on the road. Yeah. Okay, Andrew, we're at six o'clock. We six. are. We're at six, man. You did a you did a fantastic job. We got to some questions. Stephen, I don't know if you're looking at the questions box. We had the same number of questions, so we did. We were not able to get to everybody. A lot of people are are saying thank yous. Thank you so much for those. Um, looks like everybody really enjoyed it. Uh, we're doing. Do we have anybody lined up for next week, Stephen, for these free public webinars? I forget. We well, have yes, we do. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because we have my old boss at Worlds of Wonder. He's the number one toy inventor basically in the world today. Mm -hmm. He's got a Lifetime Achievement Award. But this guy is so good at coming up with ideas. We're going to pick his brain to figure out how does he come up with hit after hit after hit. He's done over $4 billion at retail. And the guy is a genius. He's my old boss, Dave Small, and he's going to come on next week on the 18th. Cool. 
Cool. So I want to thank everybody. Take care. Keep inventing. Stephen, you did an amazing job tonight. Everybody asking the questions. You did a great job with the questions. And we'll catch up with you next time. Hopefully next week. See ya. Bye. Good night, everybody.